0: Contact the show, send us an email at liveon 4 at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. 4 You can call me Al, you can call me Ed, you just just fucking call me right Hey, everybody now, welcome to a special edition of Live on Four Legs. We're going to take a couple of minutes and pay homage to the 25th anniversary of a fantastic record. Happens to be my favorite of the 11 studio albums that they've put out, Yield. 25 years ago, that feels like forever ago, and I I know that for some people, 10, and thinking back, 30-plus years now, like they have that memory, but Yield is almost, in a way, my 10. So I think we're going to get into that. We're just going to talk about the record and give you guys a little bit of a look back on this day that's fairly important. You know, it's it's a, it's a big milestone, 25. So let's get all into it. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there.
1: Hello, hello. How about it? Yield. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not my favorite one, but I think I, I currently have it at, at number three, which is very, very good. I had kind of a moment... Uh, last year, where I had to do kind of a late night drive and I put on Yield, and I was like, I'm gonna listen to this thing all the way through. And it really kind of gave me a, a new appreciation for it the way it, it opens up and it's it's sequenced very well it takes you on like it feels like a ride not necessarily a concept record but it it feels like it's got a got a narrative almost and like it's a good one for for driving late at night that's all i'll say mfc you know obviously but i think the rest of it works very well for that too so that was that that bumped it up for me but uh yeah it's uh it's i mean it's it's a jack record so it's going to be high for me
0: yeah, I, look, I think you're right on the money with uh, it being a car driving, not just it being MFC, but like I have so many memories of again driving late at night or even you know drives in the afternoon that were just long drives, and it felt like a song like "Low Light" was the perfect moment. Like you know, I, I even at times had kind of tried to set it up where i'd put the album in while the sun was setting so once it gets to low light i can kind of get that atmosphere around and happen like maybe once but yeah i feel like it has all those elements it's just an album that moves every song has like a moving progression every song feels like it's taking you somewhere and when you're driving you can kind of you know especially if you're on long distance especially if you're just kind of on highways and and stuff like that, you have a lot of time to sort of think and it could kind of take you out of that moment where, you know, you're in the headspace to think and take you and invite you into the album and kind of grab you in. It's magic. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a unique one for them because, you know, no code was really a sign of maturity, but it felt like once they hit yield, a lot of the frustrations that were still apparent in no code were kind of disappearing. And that made Yield feel like adult musicians were writing this record. And it even felt like if you're listening to the production of it of Brendan O'Brien, like I, I can't get enough about how these songs are produced. And and a lot of that is just thanks to him being the sixth member of the band. But I, you know, I, for, you know, leading into kind of a new generation of Pearl Jam and leaving what was the 10 and Versus era behind, like this sort of set you up. And, you know, for, for some people, it was set you up for, you know, what would be a lifelong relationship with this band. And for some people, it was just, okay, I'd like the early stuff, but I'm out. But it kind of gave you a glimpse into what this band was going to turn into. And I feel like Yield was definitely the gateway into what they became.
1: Yeah. And it was definitely more collaborative. I think, you know, you'd seen a little bit of that on, on no code obviously, but I think Yield was the one I think noted for like, Ed's going to take a step back and like, Hey, let's, let's work on your song and let's, let's make sure that that everyone gets, gets represented. You know, I think, Jeff is writing lyrics for the first time and like yeah I mean you're you're seeing them kind of become the band that they had always like meant to be they're kind of growing up into that into that established you know institution of a band that can that can just go make really good records go play excellent live shows and and have it be sustainable like they got through the the early 90s the mid 90s when it was turbulent and it it could have fallen apart and like yield is like and i think i remember when it came out it was like a lot of people like oh, yield you know that means they're they're giving up they're 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 not going to be fighting anymore you know it's, it's in this whole thing and there was the whole thing with the with the yield signs and like you got to look through the the booklet to find the yield signs and all the different songs but i think uh you know time has shown us that that is that is not what it was you know yield is means something different uh with regard to this record and it's uh it really is i think you know no code is my favorite for a lot of different reasons but i think yield continues what no code did and and kind of expands on it and and gives a little more you know a little more maturity and a little more substance
0: yeah that's yeah like i said like no code is a lot of frustration you know songs like in My Tree, you can kind of feel that frustration when Ed's, you know, kind of screaming that chorus and everything. You get the bombastic drum hits. Uh, you, you get it during Habit, where Habits gets really intense, and that's written right in the middle of Vitalogy, too, so it's still got that identity from Vitalogy. And then you got a song like Present Tense, and I feel like Present Tense was the perfect bridge between what this album was going to be and, and no between no code and what this album was going to be. Cause I feel like present tense was sort of spaced out, kind of open. It was more reflective lyrics rather than, uh, you know, and obviously it comes together more on vitality. Some of the more frustrated lyrics and kind of, uh, anger and, and pent up aggression, but it still had a little bit of that on no code too, but it felt like present tense, especially felt like, yeah, After that, they're going to write more songs that are like this, that are more introspective, that have a little bit more just looking at a different side of life. And, you know, it feels like that record just kind of brings it out of you. And as I mentioned before, I I don't want to get past this, but I I kind of said that, you know, for, for you and for the majority of the Pearl Jam fan base, you know, you had 10 to grow up on. When you were 12, 13 years old, 10 came out and that was your world. Now, I had four records under my belt, but it's always what's brand new, what's in front of you. And it always felt like because we, you know, me and my friends and some older friends that, you know, had more uh, listening experience when it came to Pearl Jam and when it came to other music too, that 97 especially felt like we were starting to listen to Pearl Jam a lot more. And that kind of just, I guess, ramped up the anticipation for when this record came out and we had listened to the band. We untook everything that we could. And then when the record came out, it's like, Oh, well now this is brand new. This is, you know, it's 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 fresh. It's something different, and I think from what I didn't know back then is that how much I liked the record. But it, it it I it's it's tough when you're 13, 14 years old. You know, you're bringing CDs with you on plane rides and on long car rides and stuff like that. And you bring a couple, and like those are your bread and butter CDs. For me, it was really you know Nimrod from Green Day, which celebrated a 25th anniversary not long ago and Americana of offspring. And it felt like those records were what I was at 13 years old. But when I listened to this record, it felt like I was listening to a mature album. And I, I don't think I saw it back then. Like, I think I just liked the record more than I even liked the individual songs, because I would just kind of listen and in- intake everything. You know, when you're 13 years old, you have a propensity of sort of getting into the habit of skipping around on songs. You're not listening to full records sometimes because you don't have the attention span to listen to full records at that age sometimes. It just happens. And once you grow up and you're like, oh, well, I recognize this song, but you get attached to it. I don't feel like I ever did that on Yield. I don't feel like there was ever really a song that I ever wanted to skip. Even even Red Dot. I always felt necessary to listen to the whole thing because it did feel like there was one long narrative, like you mentioned, that was being shared throughout. And it, you know, I, I think the whole thing together just felt like you were kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And I don't think that my brain was able to I guess figure that out at the time but it's interesting that even a record like that like a, there aren't a lot of hits off of it like evolution was the one that was really the big hit but you know wishlist and given a fly while while known didn't really get radio airway play as much as maybe they should but you know the, I, I i always felt it was necessary that i intake all of them, the deeper cuts get into mfc and there's little production things i love about this as well we can get into in a second but like even push me pull me i thought at the time like wow this is a really weird song but it feels like i have to listen to it i have to get through it and yeah, i think it's one of the first records that took me in that direction where i didn't feel necessary to skip to some of my favorites
1: yeah, I was I was 20 when when this came out 1920. So I was kind of like getting out of my Pearl Jam obsession that had been going on like since from like 1992 to 1996 97 and I was like getting into other things and getting into different music but um I do remember like, you know, getting the the record and and listening to it a lot. Um and really again like you, we think of yield as like this. Oh, it's like it's more of the return to form. It's it's more of like the soaring rock songs that they're known for. But it's a little more of a weirder record than than people give it give it credit for. Like, no ways a weird song. Pilot, obviously. There's another uh, Jack Irons instrumental on here. You'd mention color red. Push me, pull me, definitely. And yeah, there's. I think this is this is got this records got more to to uncover i think than 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 people think like a lot of the the early stuff i talk about you know 10 and verse is kind of straightforward like i've gotten everything i can get out of those records but uh, you know these these middle ones you know about yield Binaural riot act you can still go back to those i think you know 20 25 years later like we're doing here and i can still listen to that with with fresh ears and and get something out of it you know i think the the sign of just how strong it is. Like I, my favorites on this record have changed. Like as the years have gone by, like originally it would have been like, Oh, you know, brain of J MFC, uh, do the evolution. And then, but now like, at, um, I'm 44 years old. i look at like all those yesterdays, you know, low light given to fly. Those are probably the, the three off of this record that I would go back to the most right now. I think given to fly is maybe their best song period. Um, and so that that that's something that's a strength of this record too, is like it doesn't have, like you said, it doesn't have a lot of skippable songs it 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 rewards a, a listen of like putting it straight on and listening to it straight through.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of that and you know the threading of the needle has to you know just hands go out to Brendan O 'Brien for doing oh, yeah. this because. Yeah. I, I think that that's such an important thing when creating an album is how are you going to attach the songs to each other and not make it so that okay one's over here then the next then the next like it, they have to have some correlation in a way and there are little little things that do that in this album like one of the first things I can think of is the brain of jay in between brain of jay and faithful where you get that sort of a little like kind of sound effect that goes off it always reminded me of the intro to black dog in a way i guess it's some like feedback of an amp or something like that but like that just that little part ties the two songs together because in reality And you can think back to Milwaukee. The two songs should have nothing to do with one another. They're not alike at all. So when you have Brain of J, just a a fast, hardcore punk rock song, and then Faithful, which especially the way that the intro goes in, it doesn't... Brain of J, you'd think you kind of follow up in the same way that Bynarl did, like, okay, here's another punk song, then here's another punk song. But no, like, you're going into one of the songs that soar and then you get into a blues song then you get into another soaring song then you get into something that's a little bit more contemplative a little bit more poppy like it all just balances together and even another one of those little things I love from uh, red dot at the end of it you kind of get those that little cricket chirp you know what I'm talking about like yep. right as it finish yep. and it felt like I, I I guess that red dot is on side B, but it felt like if you were to end that on side A, that's kind of like a, a way of saying like, okay, this is done. Like we're this was the daytime, now we're going into nighttime. And I don't know why I always put that together with that, but it it just felt like all those B side songs all attached to each other so well just because of that one little transition. And I, I don't know. I like it's tough for me to even comprehend that, but it's just part of it.
1: Yeah, I always think of that part as like setting the, the mood for MFC. Like you're you're out in in the middle of nowhere, it's late at night, and then MFC kicks in, and you're like, okay, you, that I'm in the right frame of mind right now. Um, but don't forget about, you know, push me pull me, that gives a little sample of happy when I'm crying in there that's super cool that's something i always think of like man they snuck in a little snippet of one of their weirdest songs in there and yeah push me pull me like they when we talk about it live it's it's so much different they kind of like kind of sanitized and compressed it from the way the album version is they have to when they play it but the the album version of push me pull me is one of the strangest things they've done like Go back and listen to that thing. Like, there's a lot going on there, and it's 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 out there. That's another Jeff song. It
0: should turn you off, but in some way it doesn't. You know? Yeah,
1: that Ed quote of like, "Oh, we we thought we we thought you were with us on that one." Yeah, right, right.
0: And I mean, we can get into this in a second. The whole aspect of these songs being played live and how you know Jack leaving the band after the Australian tour, kind of you know had something to do with that a little bit but um i i think from again from a production aspect you kind of said it a couple minutes ago given a fly is the song off this record you said maybe one of their best and i guess if i'm going to say this then it kind of goes along in the same uh in the same breath that i, th- I have always thought that given the fly has been their best produced song just the way that the storytelling is done, the way that it kind of fades in and you hear that, you know, that, that effect kind of just slowly enter the song and slowly enter your brain. And then you get the visuals from the lyrics. You get the, you know, you're envisioning a a young kid flying and a young kid persevering. And then it, it just keeps building. It keeps soaring to tell that story. And it's so well done that, I don't think anything else production wise comes close to that. That's, you know, it's all music is all, all about storytelling to me. That's one of my favorite aspects of it. If you can tell a story through not just your lyrics, but through your music and through the way that, that you're getting the atmospheric sounds surrounding your recording, then you're going to have a great, like you're going to put together a great song. So, yeah. I, I, a lot of these have very interesting techniques. It always felt like no way, in a way, always kind of felt a little tinny, but you know, gets into developing like that that intro on no way too, where it's kind of almost diffused a little bit where you don't hear like the full guitar, kind of brings you into like what the song is initially, like, you get visions of it. I always thought that, like, No Way would be something played, you know, in sort of a, like, secluded area. Like, I don't know why I've always thought this, but, like, a wood cabin or something like that, like, kind of out of the way. And I, I guess it's, like, that janky guitar or something that kind of brings that out of the song. And while not a song that works live very well too often they've only played it 12 times all of that from the record probably goes into why they're not interested in playing it
1: yeah it's it makes you wonder why they stopped working with with bernard o'brien for the next god 11 years they didn't go back to him until until backspacer like we we talked about this too like what he could have done with with binaural would have been very interesting and it might have been even a a continuation of this but um yeah i I agree yield is is maybe their their best produced album studio album overall yeah i think i'd agree with that
0: look put it up against other Brendan o'brien albums too like is it one of his best work if you if you you know pearl jam was his bread and butter If you put it up against Pearl Jam Records and say that that was Brennan O'Brien's best produced, then you know you might as well say it for the entirety of what he's done, and that's a big, big catalog right there. So, look, that's something you guys can bring up and debate with us. On either Twitter or Facebook at the Pearl Jam Podcast Community Group or Twitter at Live on Four Legs Pod. I know there, there are probably a lot of people listening to this that don't listen to the main platform stuff, but we are a podcast that covers a live show in every episode. We take something from all different kind of eras. Next week is going to be one from the binaural era in 2000. And we go to all different locations and talk about what they were doing on that night, the set list, the stories that are told, the stories that are told by the fans that really kind of bring in their angle from seeing the show and witnessing and sort of what people will do to go out of their way to go to Pearl shows and it's just kind of a memory bank you know we did this because you guys that go to shows and and intake this and and we'll go far and wide to do this are doing it because you want to make life-lasting memories and there's some stuff that just kind of after a while either you want to carry the story with you for as long as you can, or, you know, maybe it's something that you just kind of forgot about. It kind of gets locked, locked into the vault a little bit while other shows remain in a cycle of, of prominence. Like, you know, obviously things like Moline and, and Milwaukee and things like that. But, you know we're trying to bring shows back that you might not have listened to in a very long time that you know are still important in a way because it came from this band so that's what we do and if you're listening to us on any platform you can subscribe to us there also if you're interested in more yield content and perhaps supporting us as a podcast we do have a patreon which you can donate as low as $1 a month and get all the content that is over there and there's unlimited content, essentially. We have done past shows that are a little smaller than what we do for the main platform, like stuff from 1991 and 1992, and a lot of British school shows. I think we did the whole catalog of them. So, if you go on Patreon right now, you'll be able to see that there's a brand new episode for the Tibetan Freedom concert that happened in 1998. It was Matt Cameron's second show, not including the Letterman performance, but it's very interesting topic to talk about, so if you are interested in it, head on over to patreon.com slash live on four legs, and you can subscribe right there. Again, as low as one dollar a month, but also, on our website, LiveOnFourLegs.com, we should have a piece that's up right now that is focusing on the best live performances of Yield songs. So we go down the list and go down the track listing and list one or a couple of great performances of that song from the album. And that will take us into now talking a little bit more about the live aspect since that's something that we have some uh, some knowledge on. So we kind of mentioned before about Jack And you know, Jack joined the band in 1995. Didn't really record Vitalogy with them. Just did Foxy Mop, and did the whole '95 tour. Recorded No Code. Did the whole '96 tour, and then he had some trouble with his mental health and anxiety. And after, I think he was having a problem with touring, especially the band had a very rigorous schedule in 1998 and looking to the u.s dates which were like one they were all on top of each other it was a long tour i think he sort of thought like he couldn't do it he needed to get himself back together so you lose a huge aspect of what made these two records stand out and how of course like matt cameron is going to come in and fill the job and he's been there ever since and that in itself is is a treat that they were able to get somebody as crucial and talented as that. Like lucky that Soundgarden only broke up a year ago, because if they hadn't, then you know we don't know who it, it could have been. But. You know, what? what's your, uh, obviously, you know, you're a huge Jack guy. I'm a huge Jack guy, too. But what do you think, like, about that era, like, Jack leaving and how that kind of impacted the band and, you know, led way to Cameron? But, like, that's a pretty huge loss that you're getting right smack dab in the middle of an album year.
1: Yeah, you know, and we had, you know, it had been... Pretty, I think, common knowledge that like they come out and said like, oh, you know, Jack saved the band. Like he brought some stability and it felt like they were, you know, on the road to kind of get, getting back into it and like working on albums and touring and doing the whole thing. And it felt like this was something that was going to last. And then, you know, that that rug gets kind of pulled out from under them. And yeah, it's just fortuitous that that Cameron is there, available. And you know he tells a story in the in the Pearl Jam twenty book that like, hey, just got a call one day like they ambushed him like hey we need you to come you gotta you gotta learn sixty songs in two weeks or whatever because we're going on tour can you do it and he was like all right and you know originally just a fill in I think they you know they they weren't sure what they were gonna do and then yeah though I mean those ninety eight shows I mean that was you know that that fall of ninety eight was the first time I got to see him and it just it just felt like a like a completely new era like this this is what it was meant to be you know cameron does everything well you know what? like i said jack is probably my favorite i love the way he plays and the the things that he added to the songs but i mean i think everyone would acknowledge that that cameron is the best drummer like he does he does everything well he he's a great songwriter and he's he's added so much to them, and like he is the drummer at this point, going on like yeah twenty five years. So, um, I remember it being you know a little bit up and up in the air, like oh they're they're losing another drummer, like we got to go through this again. But then when you when you heard it was going to be Mac Cameron, it's like well of course, like that that makes perfect sense because you know everybody knew Temple of the Dog and like the the history and like yeah obviously they're gonna grab the guy that they know from Seattle and like who was in Soundgarden and their friends and everything. So it just felt like the, the last piece of the puzzle was, was in place and, and fit and they were just going to going to keep going on and on. It's it, like a start of a new era.
0: Yeah. And kind of the transition, you know, you kind of said he had to learn all these songs, but he couldn't learn everything. And that sort of took half of that record and kind of left it in the dust a little bit. You know, They were playing Evolution and, and Wishlist, Brain of Jay, and Given a Fly just about every night. Those were the core four of that record being played live. But s- some of the other songs, like Push Me, Pull Me, All Those Yesterdays, Low Light, uh, Pilot, like uh, No Way, those really didn't hit the rotation very often on this 98 tour. It was like little bits and pieces here and there. And I wonder if they felt more comfortable. They would have felt more comfortable with Jack on those songs than Matt, or if it was just kind of a time crunch thing, but it is interesting. And and the the most interesting thing about their live catalog and how they've put their songs and set list together to me has always been the usage of low light Not played at all on the tour year, not played at all after the record came out until I think it was 2001 at a Bridge School show. And then over the next 10 years or so, it's kind of considered one of these rarities, but now it's one of, it's a staple. It's just one of these staples and it kind of developed into that over time. But back then, they weren't giving it the time of day at all. It's like they had no use for it. But I, and I always think that that's just super interesting to think about when thinking about this era because you're not utilizing every single song. And it kind of, you know, I, I think that it kind of bled into a little bit of binaural where they weren't playing every single binaural song. Like some of the like rival got left off a little bit. And then even going in riot act a little bit like stuff like help help really didn't see rotation very often. Ghost didn't see rotation very often, and yeah, yield songs just for being as good of a record that it was. It's kind of a what if thing. Like, what if Jack stuck around? Would these songs resonate more, or you know, have a greater resonation with the crowd now than they could have had in '98?
1: Oh yeah, I think they definitely like would have played more of the record you would have you would have seen, I think more of those kind of songs uh just from a familiarity standpoint. But yeah, it's like it's like there's it's a tale of two records cuz like on one side you look at yeah, given to fly what 500 times now, close to wish list, got to be in the 300s probably do the evolution over 500 and then you look at some of these like push me pull me less than 20 um pilot not very many no way i think you talk about 12. um so some on one hand it's like these huge big like every night fan favorite songs and the other side of it is like these super rare like ones that they never break out but yeah it, it just somehow it works works well together and you saw that like in in Milwaukee, which we, which we just talked about when they went through the whole thing and played the whole thing. It's like that, that was super cool. Like to hear it all, all together and hear it all fit together with, especially, you know, with, with Cameron, you know, behind it, you know, kind of putting his stamp on all these songs. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's one of their best.
0: Yeah. And I I think back to, you know, what, what's happening now and how some of those songs have, have stuck around in the set and you know we have a little series that we do over on our subscription platform or on patreon that is the evolution of certain songs and how they've progressed live and one of them that we've done is given a fly and you know given a fly evolution are the best two examples of this and just how you know, the attachment over time has grown with the crowd and it's grown to levels where if they play this down in South America, Evolution will have the massive, massive crowd response singing those uh, uh, solo notes that Stone is playing in the middle of the song, Given a Fly another one where crowds get really, really into it, you know, scream along with the band. They, they get all the call and response moments and they become... You know, it it becomes sort of this thing that's that's sort of bigger than the record at that point, and it makes you feel like, you know, yield is still represented pretty well because not a lot of records that follow have the every night song staples. Binaural doesn't have one. Yep. Ride Act, you know, really doesn't have one. Save You and I Am Mine are not played every night. No. Nope. Avocado, Avocado sh- doesn't have one. No. Nope. Backspacer, they didn't play Just Breathe at all this year. Nope. A little bit on Unthought Known, but they kind of got away from it on that tour. And, yeah, Lightning Bolt's kind of too soon to know, but, you know, knowing that two of their top songs on that whole tour in that in that span, Lightning Bolt and uh, Sirens didn't really get played at all this year. I think a total between the two once. You know, it, nope. it's it's impressive that songs are from that record are being held over and being played over 500 times. Cause it's just attachment. It's, it's how the band, you know, reacts to what the crowd is doing. It's how the crowd is reacting, to what the band is doing. And it just so happens that those two songs connect so well that they've been forever staples.
1: Yep. And like they're, they're the ones, I mean, they, they get just as big a reaction as, as a Jeremy or a Black or Porch or, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's in the strength of the songwriting. And you look at this where you've got, you know, McCready has three songs, Stone has four songs, Jeff has three songs. There's only two, you know, Ed-only songs on this record, MFC and Wishlist. Yeah. Um, it's really, a, a str- they were really able to use the strength of everyone and the collaboration to make the songs that they, you know, The stories they worked on the songs is to before they went in the studio to make sure that they make them as good as possible. And they, I always think of that that clip from the the PJ20 DVD where you know Mike talks about you know writing Faithful and like Stone had this riff and or Mike had the riff and like man I got this and this but I don't know how to get from here to here. And calls up Stone's like, Stone, yeah, you just do this. You just go do, 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 and then it's done. And he's like, oh, of course, that's genius. Like, they were, it's really showed the strength of all of them as a unit together. And I think that really, really comes through on the record.
0: Yeah, absolutely. F- firing on all cylinders and kind of, you know, knowing what the other hand is doing without having to to, to, to look at it, you know? The, the band was gelling really well. And I think that's a reason why they really felt that you know, Jack leaving the band could have had, you know, bigger implications, could've have, could have been worse for them because that whole production, the whole we saw it go down in single video theory, how everything happened and they were gelling. They just knew how to write songs and they knew what to do with them. And, you know, I think from the aspect of Another drummer leaving for them, but if it wasn't Cameron, who would have known? Who knows what would have happened with this band? I want to get into you know the one song that we haven't really mentioned at all is in hiding, and that might be one of the best three songs from this record. I I I just felt the need to just bring that up and give it its moment for a second. It's just it's a wonderful rock and roll song, and I think it's another that. You know, like you were saying with Faithful, how Stone and Mike sort of play together and kind of one does something while the other do does another thing, but they're still kind of in the same zone. It happens on In Hiding too, and I think it just makes for a very melodic sound. And it's really hard sometimes to replicate that live. But, you know, In Hiding is a sneaky, awesome live song too you got to think there are moments that you can go back on where the crowd is singing along. They're just passionate about it. And in some other life form, maybe that's like one of their staples, but it's like the song, almost like the song off a yield that feels like you got something special during the show.
1: Yeah. They played it in, in Louisville last year and and I remember it being being really really good. Um, it's another one that I think took on a little bit more of a meaning during the the pandemic, where it's like it felt like we were all a little bit in hiding. So that was one that that I think I remember I went back to a little bit more than than usual and it gave a little more meaning. So, but yeah, I mean, yeah, one of the great like you know late in the record deep cuts that they have, yeah, in hiding should have been should have been played a lot more than it has been.
0: So, yeah, I think we kind of touched all the bases here. Is there anything else from this record that, you know, I guess that kind of needs to be addressed? Uh, you know, 25 years is is fantastic. And, you know, I don't think there's been a year in that 25 where I haven't listened to this record. Even the, the years that I wasn't focusing on Pearl Jam a whole lot, I, I made sure to go back to this one when I wasn't going back to tenor versus. Like, it's just... It's weirdly special, and it's not going to be special for critics. It's not going to be special to, you know, even the the casual Pearl Jam fan. But I think for a lot of the, you know, passionate diehards out there that really intake this band, I think that Yield is one of those records that, you know, adds in that extra element into their fandom, makes them feel like they're a part of this. Well, you know, I'm we're gonna finish this episode, and I'm not telling my all-time Brain of Jay story that I tell every single time, because it feels like I do tell that every single time, so I'm holding you guys out of that, but I can't even tell you where you could listen to that, but I feel like, for most normal everyday listeners, you probably heard that story before, so I'm going to hold out on it. But that was Yield, giving it its due on the 25th anniversary, and if there was a best performance ever of any Yield song, what do you think it is? Ooh.
1: Probably one of the, one of the Do The Evolutions from South America or uh, for me personally, it's it's Given A Fly from, from Greenville. Uh, I think on that episode, talked about how special that was for me. Like, nearly brought me to tears. And I think like the... When they when they came back in in late twenty twenty one, I remember like watching a live stream and hearing Given to Fly and being like, man, like I really that really hit me as far as like how much I missed live music and and being a part of something and being a part of a crowd. But th- those would be the two one one for overall and one for me personally.
0: All right. Well, I think you know you, you kind of made a play for that personally. Um, so. We're going to close on out with a version of "Given a fly that John got to celebrate live and say, thank you guys for tuning in. And hopefully you guys can subscribe over on Spotify or Apple and leave us five stars. If you really enjoyed what you were listening to. And Hey, if you have a show that you went to that you would like to hear somebody kind of go over and talk about the songs and talk about the stories, then we might have done your your show we might have covered it on an episode we have over well over 200 episodes and shows that we've covered so possibly look into that we have a massive archive you can check it out at liveonfourlegs.com and if there's something that you're really really interested in then always our inbox is open liveonfourlegspodcast@gmail.com feel free to send us a message and uh, yeah we can we can put it on some list for later usage so i wish everybody well and happy birthday to yield and hopefully you guys get a chance to intake this record before the anniversary is up, but Hey, the anniversary is a celebration of the whole year. That might be a little bit of a hint to what we're going to be doing on the podcast or the future. So keep that in mind Till then we'll see you next
1: time. Thanks everybody.
0: I tuned in, tuned in But he tuned out A
1: bad time Nothing could save him Alone in a corridor Waiting locked out He got walk out there And for hundreds of miles They made it to the ocean that is a smoke in a tree The wind rose up